Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the student pastor, and I also love working with Brad. I don't think I've ever worked alongside or with a boss that loves and has the humility and has the intentional the intentionality to pour into those underneath him and that kind of care. And so, Brad, I'm very thankful for you as well. Hopefully when you listen to this podcast, you'll hear that. Um, so we are, um, I'm going to say that we're continuing in our series, um, The Most Exciting Idea on Earth. And we've been in the series for a while now. Is my mic cutting in and out or am I good? I feel like it is. I'm good. Okay, everybody's giving me the thumbs up. I'm looking for my sound guy. Um, we are continuing in... Uh, this most exciting idea on earth. And we've been throughout the summer doing this, and I, I've loved going through this series. If you've been with us or you've been listening to us throughout the summer, um, this is, I'm definitely cutting it out, right? I don't know if it's the way I'm holding the mic or we're using the school systems right now. Christy runs this school, and so she kind of knows everything about it, so. Oh, I wish we would have known that. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We'll, 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 we'll get through it. I'm pretty loud, so if I ever cut out, you know, you'll still be able to hear me. Um, but I've loved going through this series, The Most Exciting Idea on Earth. Um, there have been things, you know, I believe that I, I've been a follower of Jesus for a while, and there are things that, even in this series, that are eye-opening to me, that are profound to me, that really stick out, and not just like as reminders, but as like, oh, I've never pictured or looked at Jesus that way, or his love, or his grace. Um, so I want to continue in that. We're going to talk about um, a guy named Paul for a second, okay? Um, when I say that name in the Bible, Paul, you might know who I'm talking about, and some things that might come to mind are that he was the author of the epistles, which were the letters that were written to different churches back in that day. So, for example, Romans, the book of Romans was actually a letter to the Church of Rome. Um, first and second Corinthians were two letters written to the Church of Corinth, and they were written by this guy named Paul, right? Paul was a missionary. He was one of those people who traveled around to talk about his, his faith and what God had done in his life. He was an early church leader in the book of Acts. When we see the first church come to fruition, Paul is one of those people who's helping to lead the way in that charge. The word apostle is linked to his name, the apostle Paul. And some believe that he was a martyr, meaning that he died for his faith. And we're not exactly sure, you know, how he died, but that is one of the things that we believe. So there's Paul, right? But you can't talk about Paul, or oftentimes you, you can talk about Paul with talking about Saul. And sometimes we do that a lot. We like to just focus on Paul. We like to focus on the church leader, the guy who did everything good and things like that, right? But Paul had a past. Um, Paul had a past as a guy named Saul. Now, Saul was part of the Sanhedrin, which was the group um, that was part of putting Jesus to death on the cross. So some of the words, if someone said Saul back in the day, Back in this time of the Bible, people would have been like, oh, that's the guy who hates Christians. That's the guy who hates followers of Jesus. That's the guy who persecutes the church. That's the guy who murders people. That's the guy who wants 
just is violent and destructive. Those were the words that were associated with Saul back in that day. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting. We're not exactly sure about this, but there's a chance that Saul was present in some of these meetings where the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, this Jewish elite religious group, where they were challenging Jesus or where they were trying to trap Jesus. Whenever you read the Bible and you read about the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin trying to um, ensnare Jesus with their words and stuff, there's maybe a likelihood that Paul was there. Definitely some of Paul's friends were, or Saul's friends were there. Um, they were present. So Saul, back in that day, was not the best guy. He was not the nicest guy. But despite all those things, he went on to become one of the most well-known and influential leaders of the church, of our faith. There's so many times that we reference, I mean, just last week, Brad referenced um, the verse or the letter from the church to Ephesus in Ephesians. Like, we are still today referencing the words of a person who has a past. Now, when I look at Saul and I look at Paul, I see myself. I see a reflection. I've never persecuted any religious group. I've never put anybody to death. I've never been part of a religious elite-ist kind of group, but I can relate to him. I can relate to him. And like Paul, I have stains in my life as well. Like Paul, I have a Saul in my life, in my past, lies, hypocrisy, broken trust, decisions that are, were prideful and self-absorbed and only really thought of and done thinking of myself. And it may not be exactly the same, but I'm willing to bet that as I'm talking about this, some of you guys are also recalling maybe some Saul periods in your life some Saul moments in your life, some Saul decisions, choices and seasons that you regret, that you're not proud of. And part of the most exciting idea on earth that we've been talking about is that God devised a rescue plan for, the, for those choices and that he sent his son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for all those decisions, for all those choices, for all those seasons that we regret that were dirty, broken, and messed up. The most exciting idea on earth is that Jesus paid the price for all of those for us. And we have the opportunity to accept that. We have the opportunity to accept that forgiveness, every single one of them, past, present, and future. Jesus, his death on the cross, gave us a way to be able not to be ensnared by those things. Now that's amazing and exciting, Jesus. But what about the decisions, right? What about that past? What about that Saul past? I get I'm forgiven for them, but what happens to them now? When I was younger, I started competitively swimming, swimming when I was about eight years old. Um, at the time when I was swimming, the measurement of a good swimmer was getting a J.O. cut, which is a junior Olympic cut. It sounds a lot better than what it actually is. It's like, it's actually not that impressive, but that was like kind of the first stepping stone to say like, okay, you can get into competitive when I was eight. And unfortunately, in the mile. And so, <laughs> yeah, some of you guys are laughing maybe because you know, but distance swimmers have to put in probably an extra 30 minutes of practice time every single time because the way that you get better at distance is endurance. And the way you get better at endurance is 
You just do more of the most repetitive stuff over and over again at a consistent pace, right? But eight years old, I started competitively swimming. And then so I went in, started doing like an hour long practice every single day. And then that changed into like a two hour long practice as I got better to a one hour morning practice and then a two hour nighttime practice. And then as I got better, it was a two hour morning practice into a three hour night practice, right? So like it just kept progressing. I just kept swimming more and more and more. And I, I like I was a talented swimmer. I'm not trying to be prideful. My mom always said that if I had actually worked hard and actually applied myself that I could have gone somewhere with swimming. So mom, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm really sorry because I ended up going to like a local university and she always talks about how I could have been, could have used swimming. Anyways, swam throughout, throughout high school. At 18 years old, I was swimming my last meet, my last race at States in Florida. And I got out of the pool and I went to my coach and I said, see you never again. I walked away and I never swam again. Okay, so 10 years of my life. 10 years of my life, I said to my coach, I'm not swimming anymore. I want to quit for such a long time. And I walked away. I, I did the math on like how much time I spent in the water according to like all these different like tiers of swimming. I spent about 15% of my year in the water in hours. 15% of my year was spent in the water. And so it was a part of my, it's a big part of my past. Like when you think of 10 years and you think of like all the hours that I put into it and now like it's just in the past, I put a lot of time into it. It was a lot, there was a lot of my past. But whenever I meet somebody today and say, hey, my name's Andrew, I'm a swimmer or I used to be a swimmer, I don't say that because it doesn't play a role in my identity today. Despite how much time, despite how big of a part of my past it is, it plays no part in my identity today. And the same is true of our mistakes and our shortcomings, the decisions that we've made that are in our past. They may pay, play a really big role in your life more than 15%. <laughs> it may even be like 100% of your past is regret. 100% of your past are decisions that you wish you did not make. 100% of your past is pain that you've caused other people. It does not mean that it plays a role in identifying who you are. Hide it, or we should never ignore we talk about it. I feel like it's when I get loud, that's when it like cuts out. Uh, is anybody else feeling that? <laughs> Maybe if I talk softly. Paul is vocal about his past. He talks about his past assault. Paul says, I persecuted this way. And um, that way is a capital W because it's talking about the way of Jesus. Arresting and putting both men and women in jail as the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. Do we have that on the screen? Sorry, the, the, that verse, Acts 22. Um, this is Paul explaining as Saul, this is what I did. 
this is part of my past. This is after he had his encounter with Jesus, after he had his renewal, after Jesus took his life and turned it around. He's still vocal about the way that he used to live his life. Later on in one of his letters, the church of Galatia, in Galatians 1 verse 13, he says, for you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. Persecuted and tried to destroy it. So this isn't just a guy who like was on social media and was like, I hate Christians, like they're so annoying. He was actively participating in plots and things that was trying to take down the church. Okay, so this is the intensity of the kind of person Saul was. These are the kind of stains that Paul has, or Saul has in his life. Something in one of his first letters, sorry, second letters to the Corinthians is something called, he references a thorn in his flesh. Chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, it says, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh is given to me, of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. It's been debated by scholars and theologians what um, the thorn is, what that thorn in the flesh is, and I think Paul was ambiguous for a reason, and I'm going to make a non- PhD theologian assumption about this thorn in the flesh. This is a personal guess from my own personal experience. I think that Paul's thorn is in his life. Did everybody hear that? I think that Paul's thorn is the memory of his past actions in his past life. And operating under that assumption, that belief, we can draw two conclusions. The first is that the memories of your mistakes that you have made are not from God. The memories of your mistakes that you've made, they are not from God. Because Paul says here, he says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan. So it is not from God. There are days where my mistakes haunt me. And there are days where my mistakes haunt the people that I've hurt. And you probably know what I'm talking about the memory of something that you did, the memory of something that you said, the memory of a way that you acted is recalled and is remembered and it sits heavy and it's, it feels, it feels like it's right, it feels like it's happening all over again. It feels weighing heavy on your heart. It feels very current. And those days are hard for me. Those days are probably even harder for the ones that I've hurt. It's hard for everybody. Those memories of the past. Only half of forgive and forget feels like it could ever be reality. And that's not to the fault of the people that we've hurt. If you've hurt somebody in your life and they haven't forgotten, it's actually a safety mechanism. It's something that is there for them to not be hurt again. With the exception of like natural mental deterioration, it's almost impossible to forget that kind of trauma or to forget any kind of pain or something significant in your life. Like it's hard to forget it. You just can't. So it's not like, you know, it's actively being remembered 
by those people. I know that it's happened for me where the people that I've hurt have expressed, again, even though it's in the past, have expressed how it has hurt them. And in my mind, this isn't right, but I'm thinking they're just recalling what I've done to make me feel bad again. You know, when you, you guys have a dog and uh, <laughs> in the back there, and I'm pretty sure this is not how you train dogs, but you take the dog and you shove his face into the poop to like tell him, no, like don't do that in the house kind of thing like that. <laughs> I know that's not what you're supposed to do, but I've seen it been done. That's what it feels like sometimes where your face is just being shoved into your mistakes and your past. That's what it feels like. That's what the reality feels like. And what happens is sometimes we think about what that is, we think about that action, and we think about how people are responding to our mistakes, and we say, that's how God responds to my mistakes too. That's how God sees me. Like, God wants to shove my face into my mistakes to remind me never to do that again. God wants me to remember X, Y, Z so I don't ever step foot in that area again. That's what we think because that's how it happens normally in life with other people. And we think that's exactly how God does too. Scripture, in the book of Isaiah, the Isaiah is recalling what God says he says in chapter 43, verse 25, he says, I am the one. I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, give their wrong. I'll never again remember their sins. God's response to our mistakes is consistent throughout the Old and the New Testament. Now, I want to tell you that this concept of God not remembering does not mean that God has, like, amnesia or something, where he just, like, kind of, like, whoop, there it goes, the memory's gone. It means that he will not call the memory against us, or he will not call it into his mind to destroy us or to hurt us or to guilt us. That's not what God does with the memories of our past. It's not called in a way that is to be destructive or to guilt us. And even as I write this sermon, I'm, it's, it's like, as I was writing the sermon, it was hard for me to think like that God does not intentionally call my mistakes to his mind. It was hard for me to believe that God does not have this active thought process when he thinks about me. When God sees me, he does not see my mistakes. When God sees me, he does not think about my mistakes. He sees his son. He sees the punishment that was supposed to be for me, but not put on him. And lucky for you and me, our ability to not understand how that works, how God like knows everything, but then doesn't call our mistakes forward, does not make it any less true. It doesn't change how true it is. However, the enemy, he's a master liar. Remember in the Garden of Eden, we talked about this a little while ago. The enemy used what God had said as a way to lead Adam and Eve into temptation. He didn't even have to make up his own thing. Like, 
the enemy didn't have to go up to Adam and Eve and be like, hey, I have this proposition for you. If you do this, like, you'll actually become, like, he doesn't even have to make anything up. He just takes what is already there, what's already been said, and twists it in a way to make it seem like, oh, yeah, that's believable. He did the same thing with Jesus. Jesus didn't fall into temptation like Adam and Eve, but he did the same thing with Jesus. He told him, hey, Jesus, jump off of this cliff, man, because the Bible says that if you jump off, the angels are going to catch you. He used the Bible. And so what Satan does, what the enemy does, is not that he makes up new things in your mind to make you feel guilty and to make you feel shame. He takes what's pre-existing already and twists it. He twists it and he makes it feel a little bit more real in that day. He makes it a little, feel like it's a little bit more part of your identity in that day. He takes everything that's existing and just makes it current, makes it feel current for us. And so no matter when you do feel that, when you feel that memory coming up and it's just like kind of in a way that makes you feel shame and guilt and brings you into dark places, because there are days when I remember my mistakes and it's kind of a good thing, right? Like, don't do that again. It's kind of like when you touch the stove and you remember that you got burned, like don't do it again. There are good days when that happens, but there are also days where it's just in the middle of nowhere, I'm sitting down and watching TV, maybe something triggers it and I'm all of a sudden just in this mood. I just feel heavy all of a sudden. When it's those days, when it's those seasons, when it's those kind of things, be confident and know that it's not from God. The second thing that we can, draw, we can draw from this is our greatest mistakes are also the greatest opportunities for God. Our greatest mistakes are also the greatest opportunities for God. To clarify, I'm not saying go and do horrible things to give God opportunities, <laughs> to give God great opportunities. God does not need you or I to display the power of his grace and renewal and forgiveness, but when we have when we're weak, when we have these decisions, we can be confident knowing that we can bring those things to Jesus and that something amazing can be done with it. You think about it this way. How many of you guys have stain remover um, like on hand or in your house? All the moms are like, yep. <laughs> I have stain remover in my backpack right there. So um, how many of you guys, once you bought the stain remover, also bought some red wine and just kind of dripped it all over just to be able to use the stain remover. <laughs> Nobody, right? Nobody does that. You don't buy stain remover as a license or as a reason to go around staining things, right? It's kind of the same thing. Something amazing and incredible with our past mistakes with our hurts, with our pains, with our crappy choices. I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> with our really bad choices, it doesn't mean that we're able to just go continue doing it. So what opportunity does God have with our mistakes? Um, a while back, I was able to talk to someone who, they were struggling with pride, came up to me and we were having lunch and they talked about, I'm struggling with pride. Um, I was, as, as this person explained their situation and like what they were going through and all the different like, you know, actions or words or thoughts that they've taken, I, I was like, 
Oh yeah, I remember that too in my life. Oh yeah, I get I get that. I understand that. No, I to I totally yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. And as this person talked, the more I recognized my mistakes in this person's life. The opportunity that God has, or the opportunity that presented when we have these downfalls, is that we are able to be a display, a platform for what could happen or what is possible despite the fact that we've made certain decisions. I would not have been able to talk to this person or understand if I didn't also myself struggle with pride. Just, just kind of like, you know, how if someone came up to me and said, hey, I'm a serial killer, like, I probably wouldn't be able to relate to a lot of the stuff that they're talking about. Now, again, it doesn't say, like, I should go kill somebody just so I can relate to serial killers, right? But I have that opportunity, or God has that opportunity to use what I've done in the past to be able to be a platform for him. Paul talks about how his thorn was a humbling element in his life. His humility was saying, alone, just alone, and this is for you too, when you think about it, the, the humility is alone, my mistakes and my failures in life are simply just stains. I can't do anything with them. There's nothing that I can do with my mistakes. And even think about like, some of you might argue, well, Andrew, actually I can learn like from my mistakes. Great, but they are still mistakes in your past. What do you do with them? Do they just remain stagnant? Is it like a resume that it's just there for the rest of your life? What happens with them? What do you do with them? Alone, when we take our mistakes, when we take our shortcomings and we just leave them to us, they're useless. They're useless stains. With God, though, they're transformed into a platform for grace and renewal. This opportunity can only be present when we see our mistakes as a platform and not as a stain. And again, also not having that license to keep doing it over and over again. But when it does happen and we do make a mistake, what we have to do is we have to look at, the only way that God can do anything with our mistakes is when we look at them and say, this is a platform for God to be a testament of what he can do with broken, what he can do You may learn a lesson from a stained shirt, right? You may learn a lesson about like, you know, not jumping over the couch with grape juice, you know, or not eating over your plate. You may learn a lesson, but if you have the stain on the shirt, and you don't remove the stain, it's just like, oh yeah, that's a story. Yeah, I didn't do that one time. But imagine what happens when it's Jesus is you have that same shirt that used to have a stain and there's no stain anymore. And you can tell people, actually this shirt, I had like a huge stain going down the half of it. But I used stain remover and got it out. That's a testament to what, not to you not to your mistake, but to the power of the stain remover. And the same thing is true with Jesus. And the only way that opportunity becomes real is when we are transparent, when we're honest about the fact that I'm not perfect. I've made those mistakes before too. I've done the things that you're talking about. I've said the things that you've said. 
But look, look at the clean shirt. This is what Jesus can do with that. This is how Jesus can work through that. Part of the most exciting idea on earth is that when we realize that we can't do anything with our past mistakes, when we can't use it for anything, we come to a place where God can do everything with our mistakes, where God can do anything with our mistakes, where he can make our mistakes a platform for love, for renewal, and for grace. So don't let your past mistakes be useless stains and just painful memories. Because for a lot of us, that's what they are just right now. They're just marks in our life that we don't want to talk about. They're periods in our life that we're ashamed of. They're choices in our life that we feel guilty about. Part of forgiveness is allowing God to use those in a way that can speak and show love and renewal for other people. On earth is that bringing those things to Jesus allows him to transform the, the ugly and the dirty and the broken into something beautiful for those around us, for our family, for our friends. And so that's the most exciting, that's one of the most, that's part of the most exciting idea on earth that I have to talk about today is that your mistakes don't just have to remain your mistakes and just stains and regrets. That through Jesus, bringing them to Jesus and allowing people to see how Jesus has worked in those things can actually be life-saving for them, can actually make the biggest difference in their life. So bring those things to Jesus and don't let them just remain stains in your life. Jesus, thank you for that reality that not only do you forgive us for our past, but you actually use our past as well for good, for, for renewal, for love in other people's lives and in our own lives. Help us be confident knowing that our mistakes that we've been forgiven for them, and that you can use them. You can use them to transform our lives, and you can use them to transform other people's lives. Help us be humble and transparent. Humble and transparent enough to bring those things forward, to set them on the table, to put them on the pedestal, to allow other people to see how you saved us and how you radically changed us and love us. Allow this just to be another way that we can be presenters of your love. We love you so much. Amen.